Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Richmond Chi Alpha. We are going through a new sermon series uh, called Transformed? Question mark. Yes, Transformed? Question mark. Um, and if you were here with us last week, you know that Marcus gave us the foundation of our sermon series uh, titled Training Over Trying. And today we're going to be listening to Reverend Jen Gazwa as she gives us week two, the second week of our new sermon series of Transformed titled Be Before You Do. May you be blessed this episode and let us know how you feel. Invite up the Reverend Jen Gazwa is going to continue our sermon series. Hey, everybody. Good to see you. It is good to be here on this balmy January day. That's weird, right? <laughs> but I'll take it. I'm not complaining at all. Um, it's good to be here. You know, if you were here last week, you know that we started a new series, and it is called Transformed. <laughs> yes, with a question mark at the end. When Mike first saw it, he was like, why does it have a question mark at the end? And here's the reason. Because we're asking during this series... Um, well, we're, we're, you know, taking the promise that we've been given from God that he will give us a new life. And we know that this is true. When we are, when we are in Christ, we have a new life, right? But sometimes when we look at our reality, we're like, wait, it, am I transformed? Have I changed? And so that is the question that we're asking. And we're also asking the question, if not, why? And how do we get there? So that's what we're doing. Um, I want to encourage you guys, as, as, I, as I teach tonight and as we teach in the next few weeks, um, think about if there are questions that come up that you have about what we're talking about, write them down. And at the end of the service, we're going to put a QR code up, and you can, you can and it'll be like a little, uh, I think probably a Google form, where you can enter your question. And in a few weeks, we're going to have a night of Wednesday Night Live where we're going to take those questions and do our best to respond to them. I don't know if we'll have all the answers, but we'll try. So, uh, so get out your notebooks. You can write notes, too. But also write down your questions so that you're ready to ask them. All right? Okay, well, let's dive in. Now, last week, Marcus shared um, about training versus trying, if you might remember. And he started off talking about how he... Um, he, oh, sorry, hold on a second. I'm going to turn on my, my stopwatch for your sake more than mine. Um, he started talking about how um, he had this journey of running. And um, so I thought I would tell you a little bit about my fitness journey. Um, I don't have very much of it because I tried to be a runner. And um, I tried for a really long time, actually, probably way too long. And I, you know, I even did a couple of road races. I did like, I mean, you know, race is like a euphemistic term. You run with other people. And, um, and, and the problem was that like, I'm slow. And so I would be finishing with the, the fast walkers. Like they would cross the line before me, right? I just wasn't good at it and I didn't really enjoy it. And finally I decided like, wait, I don't really like to run. I don't want to run anymore. <laughs> and so I, tried, I, I decided I'm going to try some other stuff. Um, and so I, I had a friend invite me to the gym. We went to some classes, went to some, some different classes. And that was fun for a little while. And um, I realized that, uh, you know, those were fun, but then sort of felt like they weren't really making much of a difference. And I would be sort of on again, off again about it. And then about a year ago, I got kind of 
I, I don't know why, but something came across my, probably my phone screen. And I got kind of curious about this whole strength training, muscle building thing that's out there. And so I, was, I started like looking into it. And the thing that stood out to me the most was this. And maybe this is just the ones that I was coming across, but the people who are writing and talking about it were saying, if you want to start weight training, you have to first ask the question, what is your goal? Like, do you want to build muscle? Do you want to lose fat? Do you want to, what do you want to do with this? And I was like, what is my goal? Oh, I don't think I ever thought about like, what is my goal? I just thought like, oh, I need to do something to be healthy and Running seemed like the easiest thing. Strap on some shoes, run out the door. It wasn't easy. <laughs> but because <laughs> I didn't also didn't like it. But this concept of asking myself, like, what do I really want to do? And I was like, well, I guess I mean all Americans just want to lose weight, right? I don't know. And so <laughs> I guess am I supposed to do that? But then I was like, well, maybe a little bit. I don't I don't know if that's really what I want to do. So anyway, all of that to say that. I had jumped into this whole fitness thing and was doing it for a while, couldn't figure out what I wanted to do, wasn't really finding like it was, I was progressing, and I had never asked myself what the point was. And I think that sometimes we do that with our spiritual lives. We look around and we go, I should do something. I, you know, many of you, you know, you, you would say, I love God, I want to know him more, or I grew up in the church and I value it. And so you do things, you get involved, but you're kind of like, wait, wh I didn't, I, I don't know, what am I doing it for? Because, you know, for a while, I think it can help. You know, we go to church, we, we try to do the right thing with our lives, um, and, uh, and, and we get kind of busy in it, and, and sometimes that helps us to grow. But sometimes we look at ourselves and, you know, at worst, it can sort of malform us because we start to think, well, God wants me to be at church. And so if I don't go, he's going to be angry with me. Or if I, um, if I do the wrong thing, I, do, I won't measure up. And we try and we try to do the right thing. And, and we find ourselves not transformed, not changed from who we were before. And we feel kind of burnt out about it. And we don't really like it anymore. But we kind of forgot what the point was. If scripture tells us that we are transformed in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says that if we are in Christ, we are a new creation. And Romans 6, 8 tells us that if we are in Christ, we can walk in newness of life. Newness of life, not just like, oh, I go to church now, you know. That's significant. What happens if our reality doesn't really measure up to that? Why doesn't it? And you might say to yourself, well, I've been doing a lot, but it's not changing me. I'm still struggling with anxiety. I'm supposed to have the joy of the Lord, but I don't know where that is. I don't know what happened to that. I'm still doing things that are not honoring to God or not loving others, and I'm exhausted. Well, what if the problem is that we're training and it's not working because we're aiming at the wrong thing or nothing at all. We don't have a goal. We don't even know what we're aiming for. Maybe we actually need to do less, not more. Maybe we forgot that the whole, we forgot what the whole point of the Christian life is. 
And so that is what we are going to talk about tonight. And I hope that we get somewhere. <laughs> so let's pray. I know that we've already worshiped the Lord and invited him here. But one more time, let's turn our hearts towards him and just say, Lord, Lord, would, would you come? And uh, God, we open ourselves up to you. Do your work in us. We acknowledge your presence and we thank you that you are good and we trust you. Lord, speak to us here. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, open your Bible um, to Matthew. Matthew. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. And uh, we're going to be in Matthew 12. Jesus is speaking and he says, Make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. For the tree is recognized by the fruit. So Jesus is making, he, he makes this statement a couple different places. And he says it a, a few different ways. But his point is always the same. You can see what comes out of a tree, um, the fruit of it, and you can decide what that tree is like by what the fruit is like. And so here he's saying, he's saying the fruit is the evidence of the kind of plant that something came from. And then he's comparing it to, to us, to people. He compares it to men and women. He says our actions, our words, our thoughts, the things that come out of us are evidence of what is inside of us. In this particular discourse, Jesus says it really interestingly. He says, make a tree good. And its fruit will be good. That's very interesting. So, you know, I think we often focus on our, tr our fruit. You might say something like, okay, I, I need to be joyful. I'm not joyful enough. Why am I not exhibiting joy? Why am I not joyful? I'm going to be joyful. And so we decide, today, today is the joyful day. I'm going I'm to be joyful. I, am, I feel joy right now. And so we go out and we go about our day. And then like we step in a big mud puddle or we do, something happens. We fail a quiz and we're not, and we're like, and we find ourselves swearing or whatever, you know, like whatever. And you're like, wait, where did the joy go? I was trying, but I failed. Or maybe you're like, okay, well, what do joyful people do? Joyful people like whistle a lot or they sing a lot. So we try to like do what joyful people do. But that still doesn't work, right? The joy is, the lack of joy is actually, in medical terms, is the presenting problem. It's the symptom. But it's not the diagnosis. The problem is inside, right? The, the anger, the sadness, the, the sinfulness, whatever it is, that's the symptom. But there's something inside that needs to be transformed, so about a four years ago, my friend Leslie gave me a plant. She has, um, she is quite a gardener, and she uh, had a, you guys know what a spider plant is? It's like, I think we have a picture of one. Okay, so the one on this side, on the 
left is a healthy spider plant. And it's called a spider plant. She actually calls it a, a friendship plant because these plants are kind of cool because they, um, they grow these vines when they're healthy. And at the bottom, you can see there's all these little baby plants. And you can kind of like pick the plant off and you can pot it and it'll be a whole new plant. It like self-propagates. And so she had done this with her plant and she had some babies. And so she gave me one. And I was like, oh, that's so cute, you know, I, and took it home and put it on my windowsill. And I wasn't, at the time, much of a plant. I mean, I like plants. I have a lot of them, but I wasn't very good about it. So I would just, like, wait and see, like, or enjoy it until it was droopy. And then I would, like, water it. And um, then it would perk up a little bit. And then I would wait till it was droopy again. And then I would water it. How many of you guys are like this, like, with your plants? I don't know if you guys have plants. But anyway, um, it's not good for plants. So then it would start having brown leaves. So then I would like, I was like, what do I do with these leaves? I'll just cut them off. And so it started, <laughs> yeah, you're not supposed to do that either. So it started looking a little sickly, but it was still alive. It was staying alive, it was green, it was fine. I thought it was fine. Well, so last spring, Leslie was over at my house and she looks at, she notices the plant and she recognizes it and she goes, Jen, that plant looks awful. You need to repot it. And I was like, oh. Oh, yeah, I probably do. <laughs> so out of guilt and friendship, I was like, okay, I'm going to repot this plant. And so I did. I got a bigger pot. I got soil. I repotted the plant. And literally within two weeks, this plant was like double the size. It was so happy. It could spread out its, its little roots at the bottom. It had, you know, the soil that I put it in was fortified with a bunch of nutrients and minerals and so it was it was just so happy and even since then that was like six months ago it has had its own babies three babies you know so I know <laughs> so maybe I can be a plant mom after all what transformed my plant what transformed my plant my little watering technique was not helping it, and cutting off the leaves was definitely not helping it. But what it needed was it needed nourishment from the roots. There was something wrong inside of it. It wasn't getting nourished. And so the soil that I gave it, I even put some little fertilizer in there, and that nourished it, and immediately it began to turn towards health. Make a tree good, and the fruit will be good. How do you make a plant good? Jesus compared us to a plant or a tree. And just like my plant, we must be nourished from the inside at the roots or in the unseen places, not the things that we can see. That's the evidence of what's happening inside. The outer fruit will come. The outer fruit will change into good fruit. But it's the evidence that something inside, something deeper has changed. So... The next question is, how do we nourish our soul? And my hint is that it's not necessarily to do more. Turn your Bible now to John, the book of John, chapter 15. John 15. We're going to start at verse 4. I was tempted to read this whole passage because it's so good, but we're just going to read a couple verses. It says... It's Jesus speaking again to his disciples, and he says, Remain in me, as I also remain in you. 
No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So here Jesus refers to us as plants again. But this time, he himself is part of the plant. He's the vine or the tree. He's the trunk. And if you look at the picture, this is a picture of a, a grapevine. You see these, these um, it sort of looks like branches, but this, what he, this is what he was calling the vine that went down to the ground. And then the branches are what is holding all those leaves and all of that fruit. He's saying, I am the vine, the part that goes to the ground into the soil, and you are the branches. And he says, in order for you to bear fruit, and we're going to assume that he meant good fruit because this is his, the, his plant, right? <laughs> He's part of the plant. If you're going to bear good fruit, you have to stay connected to the vine. It even, he even says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Think about that. If you saw a branch, you know, if there was a branch on the ground, you can kind of see on the ground, there's like some branches. And you look down and you're like, whoa, that branch is just on the ground, but it's growing a grape off of it, like a bunch of grape. That would be, that doesn't happen, right? The branch has to stay connected to the vine. Jesus is saying, that's like you to me. What is he saying? He's saying that he is our life source. He's saying that he wants to do life deeply connected to us. And that that is actually even the key to bearing good fruit. He says, remain in me. This is the goal of the Christian life, to remain deeply connected to God. Most of us are familiar with this phrase, God wants to have a relationship with you. You know, it's almost a cliche because we hear it so much. But sometimes it's like hard to think about how do we have a relationship with, with a spiritual God? Like he's invisible. How, are, how do we do this? And we, we, we live in, in a society that's very logic-based. And we don't think about the spiritual realm a lot. But it's real. And God is real. And when we give him the space and the quiet and the attention for him to speak, we become very aware of him. So why, um, oh, and so, and so just reading, you know, I think sometimes we're like, okay, relationship with God, so I'm going to have, you know, my abiding time or my, my quiet time, my, my devotional time. And that is really good, really important. But sometimes we kind of get into this thing where we're like, well, what do I do? I guess I'll read my Bible plan, and then I'll read off my prayer list, and check, check, it's done. But that's, there's so much more, right? God is like, no, I want, I want a relationship with you. So what does that look like? We get derailed from this a little bit, I think, a lot, actually, for some reason, for many reasons, but I think some of the main ones are because our lives are really set up to not facilitate this. So 
you know, we have these screens that we carry around in our pockets and that we connect to our brains through our earbuds, <laughs> you know, like we are constantly sort of bombarded with information coming into us, right? And it's really hard to not, to not, you know, give it our attention. We have this, then there's also, you know, the loneliness epidemic is real. And we all probably feel it to some degree. And I think sometimes that drives us back to our screens because it feels like we can see our friends who are actually like influencers that we've never met or whatever, but they make us feel like we've connected to someone, <laughs> right? And, or, or some people don't, that's not their, their vice. Maybe the loneliness epidemic pushes them more towards achievement. And if I can't be important in, if I can't, if I can't ha like figure out relationships, well, maybe I can be good at whatever I do in my life, right? That achievement. And so these things push us away from the quiet, the calm that we need to be able to respond to God. What we need is space to be able to reflect and to listen and to interact with a God who is invisible and spiritual. How do we make our trees good? With deep connection to God. Do you want it? I'm asking because it's, it comes with a cost. But it's worth it. I can tell you that. If you want it, you have to make space. You'll have to think through, how am I going to make space in my brain for God to speak? What am I going to limit in my life so that I can hear him? What can I do less so that I can be with him and settle my soul and be near him? You have to make the decision that in some ways you're going to live very differently from the people around you. If your time with God consists of praying as you go, you know, I mean, like, I think that's great. I think we do. We need to pray, like, all day long. But I, sometimes I talk to people, and they're like, oh, I just pray, you know, through the day. Whenever something goes wrong, I just pray. That's my prayer time. But this is pretty different from that. This is giving some specific time. Um, if your spiritual nourishment mainly comes from TikTok and YouTube preachers, you know, this is a little different. This is different from that. I'm and I'm not knocking all of them. There's some good ones, but there's some not great ones. Um, <laughs> you're looking to regularly connect with God deeply every day, and it will bring transformation. So if you're ready, I will tell you how to do this. This is how you get started. There's more than one thing, but this is one thing I'm going to give you. This is how you get started. You slow down, you find a quiet place, and you notice your emotions, and you process them with God. That's it. You're maybe like, Jen, really? That's it? That was the, you, the, the buildup was all to that? That sounds kind of woo-woo. Um, but hear me out. Some of us have shoved our emotions down so far that we hardly feel anything anymore. If we feel anger or sadness, the last thing that we would do is bring that to God because it feels wrong and it feels sinful. It feels like God does not want that. 
But can I tell you that God is not afraid of your emotions? Not only is he not afraid of them, but he, he gave you emotions. He made you an emotional being. In fact, paying attention to your emotions is a key to seeing where God is trying to get your attention. So let me give you a couple examples from my life to um, help explain what I'm talking about. So several years ago, you're going to know exactly how long when I tell you what was happening. In my life, I was going through probably what I would say was one of the... um, Probably the hardest, one of the hardest times of my life just because I was exhausted. And it was when I had three young children under the age of four. Um, So Sam is here. Sam is my son, whom I love very much. (laughs) And um, so he's 20 now. So he was four. And he has two little brothers. So I had like a one-year-old, a two-year-old, and a four-year-old. And um, I loved them so much. I still love them. Um, <laughs> I'm hopefully I'm a better mom than I am a plant mom. But anyway, um, this story doesn't actually l- lead you to believe that. But anyway, um, it was a it was so I had all these little kids, and I had prayed for them. I had asked God for a family. We even had trouble, you know, conceiving at first, and so I had like begged God for for children. And then suddenly I had like all these children. I was like, <laughs> and I was I was so so tired, you guys. I was so exhausted. Um, And I started to feel really resentful about it. And um, I was sleep deprived and I just felt like, like people were always touching me and they always needed something. And I was just, I started to feel really kind of angry towards God. And I didn't even know what to do with it because I didn't want to ask God to like take it away because I love my kids. But I did, so I was like, I felt really stuck. I felt like I was just like waiting for my kids to grow up. And it was, and I, and that felt like, you know, hopeless. I was really, I was really having a hard time. And um, so I remember that, um, well, and I just, I kind of got into the habit of dwelling on this, of how frustrated I was. And um, it just became kind of like how I always felt. And I had, I had sort of, pushed God away because I was angry with him. And I didn't even realize how much that I had done this. Um, And so during that time, I remember I was in church and my pastor was preaching a sermon and sort of as an aside, he said, if you're praying for God to take you out of a certain circumstance and he hasn't, then you need to ask him what he wants you to learn in that circumstance. And I was like, oh. So... I, but I felt very convicted, and I decided, okay, I need to, I need to figure this out. Um, and so I will tell you that it took a lot of humility because I had to realize, I had to recognize that um, I had blamed a lot of, I had complained a lot. I had blamed my bad attitude on everything around me. And I had to say, okay, Lord, what do you want to teach me? And then I had to repent. I had to say, God, I'm sorry I've complained. You gave me these children, and they're an amazing blessing. And I'm having a terrible attitude. 
And then I asked, what are you inviting me into? What are you, what are you trying to teach me? And, you know, I also asked him what to do. <laughs> I came to him honestly. God, I'm exhausted. I don't, I don't know what to do. And, you know, the beautiful thing is, is that God doesn't want us to say, like, stop, stop saying you're exhausted or whatever. You know, he, he very much spoke to me in the sense of, like, yes, you're exhausted because you have limits. You can't do everything. You're a human. You're human. You know, of course you're tired. And, and so I felt very validated by the Lord. And, you know, it's funny because when I started to, like, go through this, a very practical thing occurred to me, and I believe that it was God. He was like, so what I used to do was I would put the, all the kids to bed really early, and then I would stay up until, like, 1 or 2 in the morning because it was the only time that I had for myself. And then they would get up at, like, 6, and then I'd be like, oh, I'm so sleep-deprived. And <laughs> so and the Lord was like, you have control over that. You can go to bed earlier. And so I was like, okay, that's, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I started going to bed earlier, and I was amazed. I was like, oh, wait, I thought, I was having trouble with, like, word recall and stuff. And I was like, once I started sleeping more, I was like, oh, my brain still works. <laughs> like, and I actually enjoyed being with my children, and I had patience for them. And lo and behold, what did I need? But I needed more sleep. But I wasn't getting it because I was being selfish about, about the time that I wanted to just stay up. That is one way that I, that, that's one example. Here's one more example for you of how we process our, relation, our, our emotions with God. There was a situation several years ago where someone who was very close to me and who I trusted a lot with, with responsibilities did something that really turned my life upside down and many other lives upside down at the same time. Um, it was harmful to a lot of people. It betrayed a strong trust that I had with her. And to top it off, she seemed completely unconcerned and, and unapologetic about it. Kind of like, yep, I did what I did, and I don't care. And she had just caused havoc um, by her actions. And I remember how disillusioned I felt because I thought, I have to lead through this, but I'm so hurt. I feel so betrayed. I feel so angry. And I remember waking up the next day and going like, oh, shoot, it's not like a bad dream. You know, like it was real. But I had a, a practice, a, a habit at that point of getting up early and spending time with the Lord. And so I was just kind of doing my habit. I got up. I sat down to go um, with the Lord. And, and what I would usually start with was praying Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. He leads me through green pastures, beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. And as I prayed this to the Lord, I just started, my tears just started flowing, and I just started pouring out my anger and my sadness and my frustration and my betrayal to him. And he was there. And he quieted me, and he was my shepherd, and he grounded me. And I knew that I could face that day and that situation with his grace. Had I not done that, I probably would have gone into that day 
steamrolling, passing along my resentment, my anger, you know, um, just passing along the things that, the, the bad things that would have come from my bad tree, right? Instead, my tree was filled with the grace of God. And I don't know that I handled everything perfectly through that season, <laughs> but I kept bringing it to him. And over the course of months, he helped me even realize that she had done what she had done because of her own issues and her own hurt and her own, you know, struggles. And I was able to forgive her. My soul was nourished from within, and it transformed my fruit. You see what I'm saying? There are a million times that I did not take my emotions to God. But when I do, he is faithful, and he transforms me. But here's the thing. In these situations, I not only look at my, I not only take my emotions to God, but I have to trust him to do surgery on me. I have to trust him with the emotions, right? I ask him for input. And I give him room to speak. And that's what I'm saying that you should do. <laughs> so um, I think often we don't want to process our emotions with him for different reasons. Different, uh, different of us, different people here have different reasons for not wanting to bring them. Maybe your emotions bring you feelings of shame. You don't want to bring them before God. Maybe they're scary because they're big. And you're like, if I start that, I don't know where it's going to end. And I get that. Um, maybe it's not what you want to feel. And you don't want to disappoint God by revealing these feelings. But can I just uh, remind you that he knows that your feelings are there. Pete Scazzaro is an author, and he says, well, I don't know if I'm going to get it right. He says, um, unprocessed emotions can't be buried. No, they don't die. Pro unprocessed emotions don't die. They're buried alive. And so even if you have those emotions and you don't process them with the Lord, they're going to come back. They're going to come back up at some point. And so why not get started now, right? Make a tree good and it will produce good fruit. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. It's a promise. Remain in me and you will bear much fruit. So let him in. The cure to non-transformation is a deep connection with God every day. Every day. So this is a starting place. Notice your emotions. Let him in with them. Make space for this to happen each day and watch how you start to transform. But what I want to do with you tonight is give you a little, a chance for just a little taste of what this feels like. Now, some of you are like, I do this, and I know it's helpful. And some of you are like, wow, this is new. I don't really, this feels a little like therapy. I'm not really sure. Nobody's going to ask you to tell you, tell them your emotions tonight. You don't have to worry about anything like that. But what I do want to do is for us to have the chance to try this together here it won't take a long time. I'm going to lead you through it. At the end of each row, I think on this side of these rows, there's some paper like this. And if you want to just take one and pass it down. Take one and pass it down. And take a pen that's in front of you. There should be pens all along the rows. 
So just sit quietly. We're in a moment. We're just going to sit quietly. Once everybody gets settled. Anybody need paper? I got extras here. Everybody got paper? All right. And a pen. <laughs> I'm going to play some music in a minute. I'm going to give you some time to, um, to think about your day or about something recent. Here's what I want you to do. We're going to take some quiet time, just focus on the Lord and invite him in. And then we're going to, and then I want you to think about your recent feelings. When was a time today or maybe just recently when you had big emotions? It could be joy, honestly. And that's worth processing with God too. It's a whole different experience. Um, but where are the places where you feel, and you can put the next slide up there, these, where are some places that you've recently felt, maybe it's angry, maybe sad, maybe anxious or fearful. Try not, don't do them all now. You won't have time. You can do them later. I mean, you can, you won't have time with the time that I'm going to give you. Um, but choose one, maybe, and um, write it down. Acknowledge your feelings to God by simply writing them down. And the reason I want you to write them down, I don't want you to put your name on it. The reason I want you to write it down is almost like a tangible way of saying, God, I'm giving this to you. Um, I'm, I'm putting this in front of you. And when you're done, I don't know why I chose a bowl. This is, <laughs> I want you to bring it up. You can even tear it up if you want to. But I want you to put it in the bowl as kind of like an offering to God, if that makes sense. God, I'm giving you this deep part of me, and, and in doing that, I'm giving you access to this deep part of me. Does that make sense? And then as you go, before you go back to your seat, we're going to have some, some of the staff members are going to be up here, and we're just going to speak a blessing over you. And then you can go back to your seat, and, and we'll just do this for about five minutes. We'll let one song play through. Um, when you're ready, you can come up, and then I will come back, and I'll close us, okay? Does everybody understand what we're doing? All right. Um, let's start with a moment of, of just um, quietly. Oh, and if you want to get up and, like, if you want to find a different space, you can totally do that. Like, if you want to sit in an empty row or go sit in the back on the floor or something like that, if that's helpful to you, you can do that. So, all right, let's, let's just focus our minds on the Lord. Lord, have your way with us. <laughs> 